0: Chapter One of the Three Midshipmen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Three Midshipmen by William Henry Giles Kingston. Read by Eric Bischoff. Chapter One Early Days. Ours was a capital school, though it was not a public one. It was not far from London, so that a coach could carry us down there in little more than an hour from the white-horse cellar, Piccadilly. On the top of the posts, at each side of the gates, were two eagles. Fine, large birds, I thought them. They looked out on a green, fringed with tall elms, beyond which was our cricket field. A very magnificent red brick old house rose behind the eagles, full of windows belonging to our sleeping rooms. The playground was at the back of the house, with a grand old tulip tree in the center, a tectum for rainy weather on one side, and the large schoolroom on the other. Beyond was a good sized garden, full of apple and pear trees, but as we very seldom went into it, I do not remember its appearance. Perhaps were I to see the place again, I, I might find its dimensions somewhat altered. The master was a first-rate schoolmaster. What his attainments were, I cannot say, but he understood managing boys admirably. He kept us all in very good order, had us fairly taught, fed us with wholesome, if not luxurious, food, and though he used his cane freely, he treated us justly. We held him in awe, and yet yet we liked him it was after the summer holidays when i had just got back i heard that three new boys had come in the afternoon they all appeared in the playground they were strangers to each other as well as to us but their similarity of fate drew them together one was a slightly made dark and somewhat delicate-looking boy another was a sturdy little fellow with a ruddy countenance and a jovial, good-natured expression in it. Yet he did not look as if he would stand any nonsense. Third was rather smaller than the other two, a pleasant-looking fellow, and though his eyes were red with crying, he seemed to be cutting some joke which made his companions laugh. He had come all the way from Ireland, we heard, and his elder brother had that morning left him, and gone back home, and that made him unhappy just then. He at once, got the name of Paddy in the school. He did not mind it. His real name was Terence Adair, so sometimes he was called Patty Adair. Oh, "'I say, you fellow, what's your name?' asked a biggish boy of the stoutest of the three newcomers. "'Jack Rogers,' was the answer, given in a quiet tone. "'I don't believe it,' replied the big boy, who was known as Bully Pigeon. "'It's such a rum name!' "'I'll make you believe it and remember it, too!' exclaimed the newcomer, eyeing the other from head to foot, and walking firmly up to him with his lips closed while he moved his head slowly from side to side. "'I tell you my name is Jack Rogers. Now!' The bully did not say a word. He looked as if he would have liked to have hit. But Paddy Adair had followed his new friend, and was evidently about to join in the fray if it was once begun so the big boy thought better of it he would gain no credit for attacking a little fellow the first day of his coming there were many witnesses of the scene and jack was unanimously pronounced to be a plucky little chap pigeon defeated in one direction turned his attention to the first-named boy who had scarcely moved since he entered the playground but "'kept looking round with his large black eyes on the scene before him, "'which was evidently strange to his sight. "'What are you called, I should like to know?' he asked in a rude tone. "'Alec Murray,' was the answer, in a quiet, gentlemanly voice. "'And you come from Scotland, I suppose?' said the bully. "'Yes, I do,' replied the former. "'I wonder your mamma would let you get away from her.' Observed the big boy with a sneer. My mama is just dead, answered Murray, in a mild tone, a tear springing to his eye. Shame, shame, shouted the voices of several boys who had come up, among them that of Jack Rogers was the loudest. Oh, I didn't mean to say anything to hurt him, said the bully, sneaking away. I'll pay you off for this some day, he muttered as he passed Jack. Jack looked at him. And laughed <laughs> he'll have to fight too if he tries it. Mind that said Adair to his new friend. <laughs> well, Jack thanked him, but said that he should soon be able to tackle him if he could not just now. he would try at all events. <laughs> That's it, cried Terence enthusiastically. That's just what I like. If you' are knocked down, you can but get up again and try once more., <laughs> yeah, so my papa says, observed Jack. He's a first-rate father, let me tell you. He would never let any of us give in, except to himself. He used to throw us into a pond and tell us to swim. And unless we had actually been drowning, nothing would have made him help us. So, we all very soon learned. Now, there isn't a chap of my size I wouldn't swim against. We we live down in Northamptonshire. Uh, My papa has a place there. We are all very jolly. "'There are a number of us, sisters and brothers. "'You must come down and see them, Holidays. "'You'll like them, I know. "'I mean, there's no nonsense about them.' "'Terence said he should like it very much, "'if he did not go back to Ireland. "'He had three brothers and a sister, "'but they were all older than himself. "'His papa was the Honourable Mr. Adair, "'and he had an uncle, Lord Derryname. "'He did not know whether they were rich or not, "'They lived in a big house and had a number of servants, "'and people were constantly coming and going, "'so we supposed they were. "'The truth was, as I heard afterwards, "'that they were living a great deal too fast, "'and Terence had nothing left as his share of his father's property "'except, as he said, his debts. "'That, however, was no fault of his.' "'I say,' observed Jack, don't let us leave that poor fellow alone any longer. He seems very low-spirited about his mother. It was natural, you know. Though I, I don't like to see a fellow blubbering just because he has hurt himself or, or lost a peg top or or anything of the sort. So, they went up to Alec Murray and began talking to him, and Terence said something funny and made him laugh. I wonder what games they have here," asked Jack. "'Coaches and horses,' said a biggish fellow, who had just entered the playground with some long strips of leather over his arm and a whip in his hand. "'Now, if you three fellows will just be harnessed, you'll make a very good unicorn.' They all looked at each other, and as the big boy spoke in a good-natured tone, they agreed to do as he wished. Jack and Alec were harnessed together, and Terence insisted on going as unicorn i say though cried jack looking back what are you called i always like to know the name of the driver oh ben trotter when i'm not called master benjamin trotter was the answer ah, not a bad name for a coachman observed jack beginning to prance and kick about he got a cut with a whip in return for his remark terence reared and neighed and kicked about furiously all the time like a high-mettled steed who wanted to be off and at last trotter having got the ribbons adjusted to his satisfaction away they all went round the playground at a great rate looking with very great disdain on those boys who had only got string for harness thus were the three newcomers first yoked in fellowship they were very much together never afterwards though they also had their own especial friends murray and rogers were the most constant to each other. Murray was a studious, gentle boy. He had more talent than Jack. That is to say, he did his lessons a great deal better and never got into any scrapes. Jack never picked a quarrel, but he now and then got into one and was apt in his lessons to give a false quantity and sometimes a translation of his Caesar which would put him down to the bottom of the class. Murray was always ready and able to help him, but Jack was not a fellow who would consent to trust to the help of another. When he really tried, he could always do his work, and very creditably, too. Dare, unlike his friends, was nearly always getting into trouble. He would not think enough about consequences. Once, he and others had been letting off fireworks of their own manufacturer in in a remote corner of the playground. Notice was given that an usher was coming, They threw away their combustibles and fled. Terrence, however, had a piece of lighted touch paper, which, in his hurry, he shoved into his pocket. It was already full of a similar preparation. He was caught and hauled away into the schoolroom to receive condign punishment. He tried to look very innocent and requested to know why he was dragged along so unceremoniously. Paddy, under no circumstances, ever lost his politeness. Unhappily for him, just as he reached the door, the proofs of his guilt became apparent. Streams of smoke and sparks burst out of his pockets, and the master had to pull out the burning paper to prevent him from being seriously injured. As to his lessons, he very frequently was at the top of his class, but he never could manage to keep there many days together. For some neglect or other, he soon again lost his place. Still, He was a general favorite even the masters could not help liking him the three new boys were put into one room they slept there for several halves on one occasion terence had kept away a good deal from jack and murray and associated more than was his custom with several of the less nice boys among them was pigeon the bullying fellow i happened to be awake one night and by the pale moonlight, which streamed in at the windows, I saw Paddy Adair sit up in his bed and look about him. Pigeon and another biggish fellow did the same. They signaled to each other, and slipping on their clothes, crept with their shoes in their hands out of the room. I could not go to sleep, wondering what had become of them. Jack Rogers slept near me, and he likewise had seen what occurred they were absent for about half an hour they returned as noiselessly as they had gone out and crept into bed again of course thinking that no one had observed them no sooner was the door closed than there was a strong smell of apples in the room and presently a crunch 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 was heard those fellows have been stealing old rowley's apples now thought jack and that donkey patty adair has i'd bet been hitting the party. He felt as if he were a spy by not letting them know he was awake. So he sat up and said, "Hello, you fellows! What have you been about?' "'Is that you awake, Jack?' answered Adair. Yeah, "'Never mind. We've had great fun. Have an apple, will you?' "'No, thank you,' said Jack. "'I'd rather not,' laying considerable emphasis on the last words." "'He doesn't deserve one, as he hadn't the pluck to go and get them,' said a voice under the bedclothes. "'Now who says that?' exclaimed Jack, sitting up in bed. "'Why, I say you would have been afraid to go and do what we have done,' answered Bully Pigeon, summoning up more courage than was his wont. "'Afraid!' exclaimed Jack, springing out of bed and slipping on his trousers. "'Afraid of what? Afraid of stealing? Afraid of telling a lie I am?' "'But I am not afraid of you, you thief. "'I can tell you.' "'Even Bully Pigeon could not stand this. "'Unless he would be jeered at and called sneak ever afterwards "'by all the little boys in the school, "'he felt that he must retaliate. "'He jumped up and sprang at Jack, "'aiming a blow which, if the latter had not slipped aside, "'would have knocked him over. "'Jack, notwithstanding this, sprang back "'and put himself on his defence not only warding off the next blow Pigeon struck, but planting another between his eyes, which brought fire into them with a vengeance. This enraged the bully, who came thundering down on Jack with all his might, and would have well nigh crushed him, but Pigeon found a new assailant in the field whom he did not expect, one of his own party. It was Patty Adair. I can't stand that and I won't, he exclaimed, aiming a blow at Pigeon's head, which sent him backwards while Alec Murray, who had likewise jumped up, appeared on the other side of him. "'We are thieves, I tell you. We've been stealing old Rowley's apples, and Jack Rogers is right,' cried Terence. "'A very true remark, boys,' said a deep voice, which all recognized full well. The door opened, and old Rowley himself, habited in his dressing-gown, with a candle in one hand and a birch in the other, appeared at the entrance, followed "'by good, kind Mrs. Jones, the housekeeper. "'Everyone scuttled away to their beds as fast as they could go, "'except Alec Murray and Terence. "'Murray was the first Rowley laid hands on, "'and putting down his candle on the mantelpiece, "'he was about to make use of his birch. "'Murray disdained to utter a word which might inculpate others, "'and I knew he would have received a flogging without complaint. "'But Terence cried out. "'No, no, it wasn't him!' I was one of them. Flog me, if you like. Well, get into bed, answered Rowley, in a voice which did not sound as if he were very angry. You two have the spoils upon you, however. Saying this, he went to the beds of Bully Pigeon and the other big fellow, and gave them as sound a flogging as they ever had in their lives. Well, Mrs. Jones retired to a little distance, though... I believe she always came in the hopes of softening the vigour of the master's arm. He went round to the other rooms and treated the rest of the culprits the same way, and we had reason to suspect they had watched the whole party as they returned from their marauding expedition. All the culprits were sent to Coventry the next day for a week, except Terence, who had, however, led the expedition, though he did not plan it. "'I have great respect for the person who is not afraid to call a thief a thief or a lie by its right name,' said Rowley, not long afterwards, looking significantly at Terence. Time sped on. We were getting up in the school. New boys were coming. Old ones were going away. When the first night after our return from the Christmas holidays, we all lay awake, talking of our adventures. "'This is my last half,' said Jack. "'I've made up my mind to be a sailor, and my father says I may, "'and an admiral, a friend of ours, has promised to give me a ship, "'and so it's all settled, and I'm going.' "'Are you, old fellow? How capital!' exclaimed Terence. "'I've been asked if I would go to sea, and I said yes, "'for there's nothing else I want to do that I know of. "'But I, I little thought you would be going, too. "'Well, that is good. It clinches the matter.' i am very glad to hear it cried murray it is what i have been longing to do for the years past almost since i could read the only profession i felt i should ever like was the navy but i never saw a chance till these holidays of being able to go into it i believe it is settled and i shall know shortly i hope what are we all three going how capital what fun we will have cried jack of course they'll let you oh hang it you must go with us murray seldom talked much of what he wished to do or expressed his feelings except perhaps to a trusted friend like jack but of the three companions he had probably the strongest will and when he had set his mind on an object no one could exert himself more resolutely to accomplish it he wrote and he wrote to his friends expressing his wish in as strong a terms as he could giving many excellent reasons for having formed it before many weeks had passed murray received a letter the contents would have made jack and terence throw up their caps and shout had they under similar circumstances received it he felt a choking sensation and the tears sprang to his eyes all his long cherished hopes were about to be accomplished he had the promise from the first lord of the admiralty of an appointment speedily to his ship the half came to an end and school broke up. And the boys separated, with all animosities and quarrels sunk in oblivion, and in the belief that they should meet each other again soon, if not at school, somewhere or other. Jack went home, and was then sent, by the advice of an able friend, to an academy at Portsmouth, where young gentlemen were prepared for the Navy. Jack wanted to become a real sailor, "'so he set to work manfully to stow away all the navigation he could pick up. "'He soon also made himself known and respected among his companions, "'much in the same way that he had done at his old school. "'At last he heard that he was appointed to a ship, "'but that he was to go home before joining to take leave. "'He was first to go to Selby the tailor to get measured for his outfit. "'You'll like to have your uniform at once, sir.' observed mr selby most young gentlemen do jack thought that it would be very nice as his best clothes were already shabby so in an incredibly short space of time he found himself exactly fitted in his naval habiliments with a dirk by his side and a gold lace cap he did not like to wear them in the street lest he should appear conspicuous he observed to a schoolfellow So he did not put them on till he was ready to start in the morning by the coach up to London. He had got leave to go down to Eagle House to visit his former master and old school fellows, and how grand he looked as he walked up and down the playground, handling the (laughs) dirk. Even Pigeon felt a great respect for him, and looked on him with somewhat an eye of envy, and thought he should like to go in the Navy. Had he gone, he would have had to learn many a lesson— or would very soon have been kicked out of it again. Jack dined at the master's table at one end of the long dining-room, and good Mrs. Jones looked at him very proudly, for she had always thought him one of her best boys, and many and eye gazed wistfully at his anchor buttons and dirk and smiling jovial countenance as he laughed and chatted with wonderful ease with old Raleigh, as if he was not a bit afraid of him, and some idle fellows envied him his emancipation from Virgil and Horace and other classical authors, for whom they had so little affection themselves. Then he had to jump up and hurry off to catch the coach, in order to reach the mail, which was to carry him down that night to Northamptonshire. Jack could obtain no certain information about Murray and Adair, but old Rowley told him that he understood they had already been sent to sea. Jack spent three very jolly days at home. He had a big trunk filled with all sorts of things which he was to stow away in his chest. Then the moment came for parting. The family were not much addicted to crying. Not that they did not love each other very much. Jack's little sister Lucy cried the most. He promised to write to her, and she promised to write to him, and tell him about everybody and everything, and the horses, and the dogs, and and something very like a tear came into his eyes, and a difficulty of speaking, to which he was not accustomed, as he gave her his last kiss. Just then, Admiral Triton, Jack's naval friend, drove up to the door, and (laughs) by a mighty effort all traces of his feelings were banished. Not that the Admiral would have thought the worse of him, a bit on account of them. The Admiral was of the old school. He had one leg, the other being supplied by what looked remarkably like a mop-stick. His appearance was somewhat rough, especially when he went out in rainy weather, and his countenance was not a little battered, but his heart was as tender and almost as simple as Jack's, or even Lucy's, for that matter. He had insisted on taking Jack to Portsmouth and seeing him on board it'll be an advantage to the youngster perhaps and besides it will freshen me up a bit myself he observed to jack's father so say no more about it neighbor rogers on their arrival at portsmouth they went to the george and the admiral took jack to try on the rest of his kit and i say mr selby observed the admiral just shake the reefs out of the youngster's clothes at once will you why you would stop his growth if you were to swallow him up in that way. Well, certainly, Admiral, but, but young gentlemen nowadays fancy well fitting trousers, observed the tailor. And tight fitting shoes which will give them corns and prevent them from stepping out like men, observed the Admiral. <laughs> Though they are silly, wiser people should not humor them. Leaving Jack with the tailor, who was really a very trustworthy man. Admiral Triton stumped down to the well-known point, to have a look about him, as he said. While he was standing there, with his hands in his old pea-coat pocket, gazing out on the harbour and thinking of bygone days, and many an event of his youth connected with that place, a man-of-war's boat ran in among the wherries, and, and a youngster sprang out of her, a small portmanteau being afterwards handed to him. "'Hello, my man!' "'If you're inclined to gain a shilling, just carry this up to the George for me, will you?' exclaimed the midshipman, addressing the rough-looking, one-legged seaman he saw before him. The Admiral was so tickled with the notion that without saying a word he touched his hat, and taking the portmanteau, stumped off with it, followed by the owner. Two waiters were standing at the door of the George, and when they saw the Admiral they hurried forward. "'Oh, pray, Admiral, let me help you in with that thing!' they exclaimed eagerly. At the same moment up came jack he burst into a jovial fit of laughter there before him stood terence adair in midshipman's uniform the very picture of dismay oh sir i beg your pardon I, I did not know you were an admiral he exclaimed just then he caught the eye of jack who had gone up to the admiral Paddy's countenance brightened a little <laughs> how lucky he added do apologize for me jack "'Well, well, but I say, youngster, you are not going to do me out of my shilling. "'Just hand me that at all events,' said the admiral, laughing. "'Another time, save your money and carry your shirt-collars yourself.' "'Terence, fumbling in his pocket, produced the coin, "'which the admiral bestowed on an old blind man who was passing at the moment. "'Jack and Terence shook hands heartily. "'A look from the first— assured the other that he need not have the slightest fear of the consequences of his mistake. "'What ship do you belong to, youngster?' asked the admiral. "'The racer, sir,' said Terence. "'She's a fine frigate. There's not another like her in the service.' The admiral looked approvingly when he heard the remark. "'Why, she's my ship!' exclaimed Jack. "'Though I haven't joined her yet.' "'Yours, Jack! How capital!' cried Terence in a tone of delight. Well, that is fortunate. The admiral seemed much amused at the meeting of the two friends. Terence had come on shore to see his relative Lord Darename, whom Admiral Triton knew, and they all dined together. And the next day the admiral accompanied the two lads on board the ship, which had just gone out to Spithead. She was a thirty-six-gun frigate, and worthy of all the encomiums Terence had lavishly bestowed on her at dinner. The admiral stumped all over her and examined all the new inventions and went into the midshipman's berth, which was a very natty one. And he sat down talked of old times during the war and told a good story or two and made himself perfectly at home and introduced Jack as a fellow who would speak for himself behind by. When he went away, he was voted a regular Trump and no small share of his luster fell on Jack. The admiral and Jack went on deck. The former was in no hurry to leave the ship. He took a great interest in all that was going forward. They walked the deck for some time. The admiral stopped and said with more seriousness than was his wont, "'Jack, I, I have given you several pieces of advice which you have taken well from an old sailor who has lost his leg in the service of his country and is pretty well riddled and knocked about besides.' I must give you another, the most important of all. Never forget that you are a Christian, and never be ashamed of confessing it. Your Bible tells you what that means. You've got one in your chest. Read it often and learn from it. Nail your colors to the mask and fight under them. You'll thus keep your spiritual enemies at bay, as I hope you will those of your country. Jack, grasp the Admiral's hand, to show that he understood him, but for the life of him, he could not have found words to express what he wanted to say. They had stopped, and were looking over the ship's side. Jack espied a boat pulling up under the frigate's quarter, with with a midshipman's chest and a midshipman in her. What? More youngsters? growled an old mate. We've our compliment more than enough already. Jack's heart gave a jump of pleasure he thought that he recognized murray it was a curious coincidence if such was the case that these three schoolfellows should meet the boat came alongside the chest was hoisted up in spite of the old man's growls the midshipman followed and in another minute jack terence and alec were shaking hands and laughing heartily at their happy encounter murray said he had not come to join the racer permanently but that he had been ordered a passage to the mediterranean where the sloop of war to which he had been appointed was stationed the admiral told murray that he knew his father and that he was glad a son of his had chosen the navy as a profession he then heartily shook hands with the three lads and when he went on shore all the midshipmen of the ship manned the side ropes to show their respect to the fine old sailor and gave him three cheers as he pulled away. Jack confessed that, somehow or other, he felt more inclined to pipe his eye on that occasion than on any of his other leave-takings. Two days after this, the racer, bound for the Mediterranean, was running out at the needles, whose jagged peaks and high white cliffs rose in picturesque beauty on the left hand. The wind was fair, the sky blue. And the water smooth, and the three midshipmen looked forward with delight to the numerous adventures they expected to encounter. End chapter One.